takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. Happy Monday, everybody. Looks like we're going to have a nice, cool week this week here in Los Angeles, California. I don't know why I'm telling you the weather. It's not really my job. On this week, I have got uh, Mia M. Now, there are lots of jobs to be had in an opera house and in music in general. All the musicians here in L.A., you know, kind of piece together a, a, a living, and sometimes it's a, it's a very good living. Living in L.A., on its own is a great it's a great thing nice place to live nice weather nice people great scenery skiing i don't know i don't ski but you can if you want to you know what they say you can go to the beach and you can go skiing all in the same day i don't know if anybody's ever done that i've never done that but you can do it and if you can live here uh making a living in music you know you've got it made you're living the dream man and Mia does just that. She uh, is a pianist. She's a coach. She uh, is an accompanist. She plays a little violin. You'll hear about that. And uh, she's also a prompter, which is the, the person who sits in the box down at the foot of the stage between the pit and the, and the proscenium. And uh, it's a really interesting thing to do. I've got, I've got a prompter on next week, too. I don't know. It just kind of happened that way. I also had somebody, uh, one of my wife's friends, uh, say I needed to have more ladies on the show. Well, you're going to have a lady today, and you're going to have a lady next week. So take that. Anyway, uh, I love Mia. She's really friendly, really talented, very uh, positive influence on the, on the opera company as a, as a team, and it's one of the things I love about LA Opera is, is we uh, have a real team mentality. It's a nice fa family, <clears throat> kind of family environment. So, you know, it's a great place to work. Anyway, Mia's been there for a, a number of years, and I thought I'd grab her for a little chat. I thought it was really interesting. I, I hope you do, too. And here's Mia. Thanks for being on the show. Is this on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gag nabbit. No. Um, so, Mia. Yes, Omar. I um, first of all, I think you're great. Oh, you're kind. I think you're thank a great you. conductor, a great oh, pianist, thank you, and a great prompter. Now, those are the three things that I know about you. I suspect okay. that there's more to know about you. Oh, not really. We're gonna get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna be laughing a lot on this. Um. So, uh, you know, I was thinking about this episode, and it turns out, uh, so I've got some colleagues, uh, Hila Plitman did a, um, not a call, I mean, she's one of my best friends in the whole world. This is a soprano named Hila Plitman that just did a master class at, at uh, Riverside City College. Mm -hmm. And I had her on the podcast a year ago, and it turns out, and Rebecca Tomlinson has a choir there as well. Oh, okay. She's a choir director there. It turns out they all listen to the podcast. Oh, I listen so, to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like it seems like I'm going to turn you up because I see that you're going to. Okay. Um, it seems like a lot of students listen to it. So I was thinking about this episode, and I realized that there there are so many ways to make a living in music, which we're not really taught in music school about all the different avenues there are mm -hmm. to to make a living doing nothing but music. And it's right. especially in LA, it's a real trick. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do. 
So I know you uh, as as a rehearsal conductor, as a sometimes pianist, and right now you're a prompter. Right, for Tosca. For Tosca. Yes. Now, t- tell us about what that is. What is a prompter, and where do you sit, and how do you do your job? Well, I think the role of a prompter is someone who is essentially a second conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit in a little box at the front of the stage, and I'm essentially halfway between where the maestro would stand on the podium right. and where the singers are performing on You're stage. You're where the footlights would exactly. be in an old-timey theater. Exactly. Yeah, right at the edge of right the stage. Right at the proscenium. Yeah. And uh, my job is essentially, well, inside my box, it's not very large. Yeah, I've never been in there. How, oh, you haven't. I have never seen oh. the inside of that. Oh, you have to come in. How, how small is it? I want to say it's probably about... Oh, two come on. feet. It really, how long, how big is this? I really don't have a lot of room. So maybe three feet. Three feet across, let's really, say. This is, yeah, three feet and probably no more than 12 to 16 inches tall. And do you get to it through stairs or a ladder or, or like a pulley it, system? Well, I have one stair yeah. that I, um, it, there's only one stair that, that gets me into the box. And then I have uh, a button that raises my seat up and down. Are you serious? I do. However, the thing is, though, because I'm not, uh, I'm a vertically challenged person okay. at 5'2". Yeah. And so at the second intermission or at the top of Act 3 in Tosca, I go backstage to conduct The Shepherd Boy. Right. But as you know, the music at the beginning of Act 3 is so quiet. hmm That I found that when I'm leaving Act 2, I actually don't lower the seat so you jimmy your way down? I do. Oh I, my and then God. I jimmy my way back up. <laughs> and so I'm sometimes thinking, i got to make sure I'm wearing the right length dress. I don't want to be, you sure, know. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, giving a show. Yeah, yeah giving a show uh-huh. to the double bases. Right. Um, but that's, that's what I their do. Their double bases are a bunch of pervs, too. Yeah. They're probably looking for that. So oh, really? can you see it from the pit? Mm-hmm. Can you, if you look towards the stage, can can we see you? Like when I'm singing in the pit, I've never noticed no, because there's a curtain that's on the side of the box. Uh, uh. So on the other side is a basically a flat wooden panel. Uh-huh. And then in the opening uh, on the other side yeah. is uh, are two curtains. And then inside my box, I have two video monitors. Right. Now we can only see one from the stage. Oh, maybe there, maybe there's one on either really? side yeah, of you, aren't one, there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, right. So I have two, yeah. two video monitors. Right. And at times when... Depending on what the show is, I've asked for audio monitors as well. Hmm. And sometimes, and there is a speaker that's underneath located, but it's not turned on for Tosca. And that they're miking the pit for you? Is yes. That, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I see. But when I'm backstage conducting The Shepherd Boy, and in that scene, it's quite quiet. So I actually go on headset. So I have the actual live feed of the orchestra coming in to my headset. And then I also have the speaker. Yeah. And I've noticed that backstage, oh, a lot of the monitors are like a 16th note behind. Yes. Generally, mm-hmm. and and when you're backstage, on top of it, you have to conduct ahead. Yes, to get the sound out at the right time. Yeah, it's always tricky. I mean, be, uh, being a backstage conductor can be very difficult at yeah. times, especially in just about synchronizing with the pit. And you know, at every rehearsal, you're always waiting for your name to be called over the loudspeaker, and you have to do that walk of shame. Right, right. <laughs> and walk out to the front of the house and say, "Yes, Maestro. Okay, <laughs> try it again. Okay, Maestro." And then you. <laughs> well, and you don't have all night to make up mistakes i mean no. it's a one-shot deal no, it's it like really these is. like bit rolls and small rolls you go out and and that if you do that wrong you're done yes. like there's no coming back no it's it's totally true yeah, yeah. How, so okay besides conduct well first of all let me go back because i this this prompter thing is really interesting i've never had a prompter on the show you're our first prompter oh really yeah oh. so how were you asked to be the prompter i was asked 
My well, this was several years ago. Oh, for Tosca or just in general? Just in for general, Elle? because I noticed that we have different prompters for different shows, mm-hmm. and that's my next question. But let's talk about how you became the prompter for this and that. It was sort of by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I was invited by James mm-hmm. to come for uh, Don Giovanni. Mm-hmm. It was in 2012, and yep. he asked me if I was interested in prompting. And at the time, I was living in Chicago, and I was doing some work with the Lyric Opera of Chicago. And I thought, well, it's sort of, that would be something interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always curious. I always want to learn something that I'm not uh, familiar with. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I asked my colleague at uh, in Chicago, her name is Susan Holt, and she's the prompter at mm-hmm. Chicago Lyric. And we had some Skype conversations. And I asked her, I said, so as you're asking me, how do you prompt? Right. And I asked her and she said, well, you're, it's actually, it's far more simple than one would assume in the sense that if you have singers and performers who know what they're doing, sure. it's easy, <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's easy well, to stay out of their well, way, right? And you're, sure. and you're hoping for that's the best case scenario. <laughs> right, right. But, um, you know, but her advice to me was, because I had never done it before, and her advice was just go up to everybody and ask them what they need from you. What spots are tricky for them. Exactly. And also through the rehearsal process, you, you start to get a sense of where is a moment where someone really needs you yeah. and also and it's a very it's a very intuitive mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the word intuitive um, process, process. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know and I think part of that also comes from you know when I'm at the piano playing for singers and you know when you know that a singer's about to run out of air so then you just surreptitiously push them along and they have no idea how they made it through the phrase but they do right. and just sort of that maneuvering right um, knowing where they're going to be fishing for words exactly knowing, exactly yeah. knowing how to breathe so you can invite them in so sure. they know when to come in and and that's essentially that was sort of the advice that she told me she said just go around and ask what people want and why why do we have different prompters for different shows? Is it just a matter of what the what people know the I best? I think so. Yeah, and I think and also uh, familiarity. Uh-huh. You know, some people um, are comfortable or have an established relationship with certain prompters, mm-hmm. and I think that's sort of what it comes down to. And repertoire, I would imagine some people know other repertoire better than others. And, exactly. You know, if you're an, an expert in Puccini, you're probably going to be prompting our Puccini shows. Exactly. Yeah. And scheduling too. Yeah, yeah. Which is just on on a very basic level, just logistics. Right. So you obviously didn't start as a prompter. Where did you start? First of all, were, were you, I asked this almost of all my guests, were, were you uh, musical as a child? Were your parents musicians? Did... My parents were not musicians. Uh-huh. My mom was a nurse mm-hmm. and my dad was an electrical engineer. Okay. And I grew up in Canada. Whereabouts? I was born in Winnipeg mm-hmm. and then I moved to Toronto when I was six. I love Toronto. Oh, I love it too. Yeah, it's a great um, town. And I grew up there, and I went off to college. At where where did you? I did uh, my undergrad and my master's degree at the University of Michigan. Oh, great. Great mm-hmm. school. Yeah, it was a wonderful school. And did you start playing the piano when you were, how old were you? Was that your, I, first of all, was that your primary instrument? Was that your first instrument? Yes. Piano. Okay. Yes, piano was my first instrument. I remember being about three years old, and I went to the piano, and I played heart and soul. And then... And then my brother played the piano. I mean, what Asian kid doesn't play an instrument? Oh, come on. I, I <laughs> or at least okay. two. No. Okay, um, all right. No, but you know, and so my sister played, my brother played, um, my parents loved music, my dad especially. Yeah. Um, what did you listen to around the house? Korean folk songs. Seriously? Mm-hmm, Korean folk songs. I mean, I was sort of, 
I didn't really listen to a lot of opera, although I do remember the first opera I ever saw it was, I think it was Zeffirelli's Bohem with sure. He Young Hong and Carreras, mm-hmm. right? And I was maybe eight or nine years old, and I remember watching that sitting in my parents' bed, and I thought, wow, that's really beautiful music. Huh. Um, and then I remember being a teenager, and I went to see Tito at the CUC, and I fell asleep. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I always had music throughout my life, and I took lessons officially about eight, when I was eight years old. Okay. And my son is going to be five in January, and we, we have a, a nice piano in the house, mm-hmm. and he, he plunks around on it. Really? He, he doesn't play heart and soul. I mean, he, he I don't know if he shows any aptitude. I don't know how important that is at that age. I'm not sure. I don't, you know, I think if... I think if children have... If they're able to, you know, sit for 10 or 15 minutes and mm-hmm. just focus, I think that that in itself represents a certain level of... of um, uh, you know, like aptitude, yeah, or, an aptitude and curiosity. Yeah, he doesn't have that. Learn. No. Oh, but he, but he could develop it. He could. De- I mean, you know, he could develop it. Yeah. Easily, yeah. you know. I mean, with with, but I think it's so important to have music around the house. Sure. And, um, and that's really that's what I remember. We always had music. Now, did you want to? Did you want to be a concert pianist? Did you want to be a collaborative pianist? What kind of? When did you? When did you decide what to do? I decided when I was in college. Oh, you did. Uh, yeah, I was in high school, and I took. You know, I took violin lessons. My dad forced me to take violin lessons. How Uh, did you like that? Oh, I didn't like it at all. Really? It's, no, I wasn't disciplined enough. I, you know, and it was, I didn't realize that, first of all, I didn't have enough time Mm -hmm. um, once I got to college because I went to school for piano and violin. Oh. But, you know, but as soon as I got to university, I said, I'm not I mean, there are kids that are Dad's way not within better than anymore. Yeah, right. I mean, but when I was going growing up, I think you know, having theory classes, and especially as a pianist, and just the ability to be able to read several different lines at one time, you sort of you know, your musical experience is a little bit more thorough, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. than someone who's just learning a single instrument. Sure. And so, when I was in high school, I played every instrument. I sort of was a ringer. I played. I couldn't play the double bass because it was too big for me, and then I couldn't play the trombone because I couldn't make it to sixth position and you're not nerdy enough so (laughs) but i play the french horn i play the trumpet all the hard Um, stuff i play the euphonium which i loved so you really just showed an early aptitude generally for music and and the high school that you went to obviously had some kind of a structure that supported that kind of Mm -hmm. endeavor they did they had a really rich musical curriculum was it an arts high school or was it just a public high school it was just public high school i did go to catholic school i'm not catholic but i went to a catholic school Mm -hmm. in downtown toronto which Mm -hmm. is where my parents lived and they had a band and they had an orchestra wow you're very quick to say you're not catholic (laughs) (laughs) i'm not catholic either okay no i'm not no i'm not catholic (laughs) why are you looking at me like that (laughs) <laughs> do you have? I mean, do you have any religious affiliation at all? I don't. No, me neither. No. I think this is. I think when we die, we just kind of yeah. rot, rot in the ground. Oh, perhaps. You know. Yeah. I mean, the the stuff that makes us up goes on, obviously. Right. If, exactly. If you believe that matter's fixed, which yes. I do, which mm-hmm. science kind of dictates that at least mm-hmm. now. Right. So we're all eternal that way. Exactly. I wonder what happens to the to the Mia though, like the that the voice in your head. And the the person, you know, what happened? Yeah. Like the spirit, what happens to that? You know, I hope that, uh, you know, in sort of this metaphysical way, I, you know, it's sort of part of it has to do with my philosophy in how I live my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel, I mean, everyone says they're really grateful and for what they have. And yeah, what they, you yeah. know, but my I Rolex. I'm so right. grateful for my Rolex. 
<laughs> I like put it away. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that. But I'm sure you don't do that on Facebook. You probably don't take a picture of your watch. I'm so grateful. No. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, we all know people like that. It's just ridiculous. Well, no, but you know, I sit there and I think, right. But, but it really, it's, but I think, you know, my day-to-day way of living and the way I interact with people, whether it be just in terms of personality Mm -hmm. and relationships, or it is through music, Mm -hmm. that I feel like my spirit gets carried on in the way I'm, I try to live my life in a generous way towards others. Sure. Well, I'll be honest. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on just because I like you. Oh, thank I mean, you. you're really a, a very, I mean, just on paper, you're a very good colleague. Uh, I always feel safe when I'm singing with you. Thank and then you. around the halls, you know, it's not like it's not like uh, high school where you, you hang out on the weekends and then in the halls, you don't even look at each other. You're always very friendly to everybody. Well, I think that's really, that's, that's something that I was brought up with you mm-hmm. know i was surrounded by parents who were very kind well very educated educated mm-hmm. compassionate um very empathetic and um and i think it's important to be aware and and establish relationships with people that you work with that you see on a daily basis mm-hmm. you know i I've, you know connection is something that's very important to me sure you know, and um, it's becoming so rare too with the way that we stare at our phones. And I mean, it sounds so even cliche to to say it that way because it seems to be said all day long, every day. At least I read it on my phone all day long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's the thing about this job that I really like the most. I mean, I I had a solo career going a little bit. I say it almost every podcast because mm-hmm. uh, it l- always leads me into the fact that the social element of being a chorister Mm -hmm. is intoxicating Mm -hmm. i love coming to work because i get to see all my friends and when i was singing as a principal singer uh i really felt like i was working Mm -hmm. and when i come here i i I get to play i just get to be myself and and where did you grow up i grew up uh well i grew up in newport beach i was born in redlands california Mm -hmm. which is in the inland empire and uh i moved to newport when i was 10 and uh, left the house when I was 17. My parents uh, lived there for a little while, and now my folks live uh, towards the Back Bay in Newport Beach. Okay. Uh, and I lived in Mexico until I was about four, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was born in Redlands, mm-hmm. moved to Mexico. My folks got divorced, and then we moved to Newport, and now they live in. Now, was music a part of your... Never. Really? Never. No, I went to Newport Harbor High School, which is not known as a... As a bastion of music of any kind especially classical music mm-hmm. uh newport beach was mostly about water polo and uh and football and tennis and i played tennis that was my that was my thing and um i uh studied english really? in college okay. and uh and where did you go to college i went well i was going to junior college because i didn't know what i wanted to do i had really broad interests and in disparate disciplines and uh and so I got a job at a at a news radio place, and I was writing news copy, and I was I had a little business importing illegal tobacco uh, from Cuba, and uh, and my girlfriend said, you know, you should go back to school because I I'd kind of dropped out, and uh, to make a very long story short, I discovered I could sing. I didn't read any music. I didn't study music really? as, as a child when I was twenty four, and because uh, remember I told you I came up to you after you sang uh, for Grant, right? And I I 
it was just so fascinating to me just to hear everybody in the chorus sing yeah. because I'd never really heard you sing outside of the chorus. And then I, and I said, you oh. have a fantastic voice. That's really sweet. It was a, uh, just a talent that I came across. Really, I mean, just accidentally, purely accidentally. And then who? And then who? Who encouraged you? So I was at Santa Monica College, and uh, I I hadn't matriculated. I tried to get into a science class, which was closed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't plan for anything, and I, I used to be even worse than I am about being organized. And I didn't have any backup, so I opened the catalog and I took a singing class, like group voice class. Oh my gosh! And at the end of the semester, uh, Sue Ann Pinner was her name. She said, uh, "Do you have a suit?" I said, "Yeah." I had sung three or four songs throughout the course of the semester. I said, yeah, what are you doing on Thursday at 2.30? Nothing. Okay, put on a suit, come come and bring you two, two or three songs. And I was 15 minutes late Gosh. to an audition for which they were hearing no one else. It was just you? It was just me. And it was a panel of people. And I came in breathless because I literally ran from the parking lot. And how old were you? 24, 25. Oh and... Uh, sang a couple songs, and then I ended up getting a scholarship uh, through the state of California. That's fantastic. And, uh, and then, and then, it just and then I just auditioned for all the universities, and I chose Cal State Fullerton because mm -hmm. I really liked the music program, one of they the best. A, yeah, they have a really, really good program. And I didn't take it seriously. I didn't want to go away. I'd been accepted to, to lots of schools, and I just still thought it was kind of a joke, mm -hmm. like kind of a goof, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just a way to show off. And, right. And... Uh, so I went to Fullerton and discovered what real study was and how to do all those things. So and you had to anyway. take theory classes. Yeah. And... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody at Santa Monica College ra rallied around me. I took private lessons and everybody tried to get me up to speed mm -hmm. and ready for auditions for the bigger schools. And, and they, did, they did a good job. And I've been singing how professionally. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I've sung all over the world and done all sorts of things. And do you teach? I well. don't. No, I don't. I've thought about it. Do you teach? I see what you're doing, by the way, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I'm no dummy. I'm, no. I'll go along <laughs> for a little bit. Uh, well, no, because I'm sure your listeners are very curious about you. Oh, I don't know I mean, know I know they that. know your story during, you know, some of your introductions. Yeah. But I think it's very fascinating to sort of turn the tables a little bit. Well, th I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that I do know for sure is that there are a million ways to skin a cat. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that I took a very uh, colorful route mm -hmm. to get where I am. Uh, and I've, I've gotten to sing uh, in the Sistine Chapel as a soloist. I've oh gotten gosh, to sing wow. in the Forbidden City as a soloist, Mozart Requiem. I've sung in South America for a, a piece two years ago that was written for me uh, with the National Symphony. And I've done lots of really interesting things. And I'm I'm 47. And I, and I feel like my voice is still fresh because I yeah. didn't start singing when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And the thing, that's what I was interested about you is that I know that you're not a prompter. I mean, I know that you are a prompter. Obviously, you prompt, but nobody goes to school to become a prompter. Right. So you started as a pianist. I did. And and were you just playing? I mean, what were you playing? Marchese books or what? I mean, like, what was the? No, do you know? Were you a I singer was, as well? I did take singing lessons for two years Here when go. I was in high school. Okay. And the thing is, for me, I guess when I was growing up, my brother played the piano, but 
Like, was he the pianist in that family? No, no. Okay, okay. No, he, he's a, a foot doctor now. <laughs> like Dr. Scholl's? Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, free inserts for the rest of my life. Nice. No, um, but, but I would, you know, when I was at home, I needed a, a pianist to play for my violin, my, you know, when I was practicing my violin concertos mm -hmm. or, or my violin pieces. And so what I would do is then I would record myself playing the piano and then I would play to my own accompaniment. Wow. And so that's what I used to do. And then I thought, oh, well, this is fun. And it was sort of, you know, killing two birds with one stone. But then also, I mean, when going back to this violin thing, when yeah. I was about 14 or 15, this is how much I really didn't want to play the violin. So, and my grandmother lived with us in Toronto. And we lived in this house and I would always go, quote unquote, practice in the basement. And what I would do, <laughs> Is I would, no. Oh, no. I would sit there and I'd record myself playing the violin for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And then I'd sit there and I'd close the door and then I would just loop it. Are you serious? Because my grandmother never came back <laughs> to the basement. So I sit there for about an hour, an hour and Listening a half, and I'm just, your... you know, reading Tiger Beat or Sixteen Magazine, and then I'd just be playing play rewind play rewind. oh my god <laughs> okay so um, you went to michigan and you dropped the violin i dropped the violin and i when i was a freshman mm -hmm. i was always playing for all of my friends who were instrumentalists or singers okay i charged 12 dollars an hour okay for a coaching or essentially okay we'll uh, talk a later. rehearsal okay and and then when i was in my junior year a couple of my professors came up to me and they said, you know, Mia, you should go speak to Professor Katz, Martin Katz, sure. who taught there. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know who that is. And they said, well, go up to him and ask him. This was in the fall of my my junior year, right around December. Now, your official degree, your stated degree at the time was just piano? Was it yes. collaborative piano? No, or was it my, no, I received a Bachelor of Musical Arts degree because at the time I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. So that afforded me um, an opportunity to take a bunch of other non-music related classes. Mm -hmm. So I minored in Italian. So you hadn't decided to become a professional musician at the time? No, I, I knew it was what I was decent at uh -huh. and what I thought I would have the most success at. I wanted to, I thought about medicine, I mm -hmm. thought about um, going into any sort of care caretaking, caregiving type of role mm -hmm. uh, or a profession, but I was pretty squeamish. So I thought, well, that's not going to work. Right, right. Um, but I, re I knew that I wanted to do something that had to involve other people. I didn't want to be a solo pianist. Um, do you find the practice difficult? Uh, as a soloist? Uh, yeah, is that one of the yes, things that discouraged yeah, you? Mm -hmm. You know, and like it's you, so I like it. so solitary. It is, and, but, and I enjoy the interaction. I think there's something really magical and special in being able to make music with someone else and have it feel very spontaneous and be really in tune mm -hmm. with that other person. Yeah, and suddenly uh, that moment when you're fluent in each other's language. Exactly. And you're having this conversation that becomes effortless. Uh, that's what Without people words, describe yeah. as being in the zone. It really I is. I mean, and, and, it's like and magic. It is. It truly is. And there's no feeling like that. I mean, you really can't capture that any other way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, so I played for all of these, all of my friends. And then I went up to Professor Katz and I said, hi, Professor Katz. I said, my name is Mia M and I am a pianist. And I was told to see if I could take lessons with you. And he looked at me and he said, I don't take undergrads. 
And then he turned around and he walked off. That was it? And I went, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> but then he heard me play at the concerto competition. I played a Mozart piano concerto. And then he came up to me afterwards and he said, do you have other music with you? And I said, yes. I said, I'm working on some Barber songs. I said, I have a Beethoven violin sonata. And he said, well, come up to my studio and let me hear you play. So I went up to his studio and I played for him. Yeah. And then he sat there and he took a moment. He said, okay, I will take you at the beginning of your senior year. And then once again, and usually, you know, people who know me know that I'm not a very aggressive person. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, don't you have room in January to take me? (laughs) (laughs) And had I known who he was, I never would have ever done that. Right. Um, And so, and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Do you think you can handle it? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can. I said, you know, I said, and it was a moment in my life, I, you know, in my junior year, and I thought, I'm ready for this. And that's when I realized, I think that was a pivotal moment when, and I didn't feel, you know, people talk about luck all the time, sure. and I don't necessarily think of opportunity opportunities like that, such as luck. I really think it's when you're ready for that opportunity to meet you, and you're ready Sure. And so it's sort of a combination of those two coming together. Right. Yeah. What, what's that famous saying? Uh, luck is a combination of preparation yeah. and, and opportunity. And opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how I felt because I had worked really, really hard. I mean, and I was surrounded by really incredible colleagues, friends mm-hmm. who who were, you know, willing to stay in the practice room mm-hmm. seven, eight hours a day. You know, if you got into a good With practice joy. room, yeah. 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 Um, if you got into a good practice room, staying in that room was better than going to the cafeteria to have dinner. Wow. And we would stay. I mean, and 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 so I had two lessons a week. I had a solo lesson and I had a, a collaborative yeah. lesson. And I mean, I was literally the youngest by several years because, and I had a fantastic group of um, doctoral students mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of master students. Mm-hmm. And and all I wanted to do was just learn. And take everything in and absorb everything. But you know, we had master classes, um, or our studio class mm-hmm. was Saturday morning at ten thirty every week. Oh my god! So you know, we were the first people at the school practicing. We were the last people to leave. Right. Um, and he, he really sort of you know they talk about three people that changed your life, and he was really one of the most important people and the most influential people in my life. I worked; I've never worked harder in my life than for him. And did he help you become a professional? I mean, mm-hmm. did he? Did he got he me my. He did. Yeah, he my first job right out of college. I was twenty five, and I was um, the the music director of the young artist or the education outreach program for San Diego Opera. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I yeah. I okay. was there in ninety nine. I I, uh, I may have auditioned for them around that same time. Oh, as really? a matter of fact, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's funny. Um, okay, so let me track this. From Michigan, mm-hmm. were you were you gigging at all in college, or were you just studying? You didn't have a job outside of college. No. Okay, so no, from I... there, you went directly to yeah. head up the program mm-hmm. for the young artists. I did. The only music festival I did at the time was Music Academy of the West. Mm-hmm. So I was there and I did it two summers going th- through my senior year of college and through my first year master's. And it was a gift to have Martin Katz be my 
school year teacher and then be studying with Warren Jones during the summer. Yeah. And and the irony is, you know, even though their styles are completely different, they both wanted the exact same thing right. from the music. And so for me, I felt it was just the most amazing opportunity. And and I remember there was a time after I finished my second year at Music Academy and, and Warren had asked me if I was interested in coming back for a third year. And I thought, you know, I'm grateful for my time here. And I feel very fortunate that I have a fantastic teacher at school. And I said, you know, there are so many other collaborative pianists that would not Die have this opportunity. This, yeah. And I mm -hmm. said, please, you know, I mean, it's one spot. I said, but I don't need to, I don't need to take up someone else's spot. Um, and wow. so, and then I went to Aspen the following summer. And you were living in San Diego? Yes, I lived in San Diego for a year. And did you come here after San Diego? I didn't. I went, I was dating a guy who was living in New York. Yeah. And what did I, he do? He was a sing? cellist. Oh, cellist. He was a cellist. Fiery. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to New York and, and then I lived in New York. Oh, now I'm sort of thinking, should I say? I lived in New York. Well, no. Okay, well, that's... <laughs> this, <laughs> well, no. is, this is what I waited for. No. <laughs> because I don't want immigration to come after me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> like, oh. um, but, you know, but I... I uh, at the time... And this is sort of where it will get a little interesting because my career sort of went the complete opposite way than most of my colleagues because I ended up teaching first rather than working as a repetitor in an opera house. Because at the time, I had a Canadian citizenship uh -huh. and my school visa was expiring. So I moved to New York and I worked sort of illegally. Sure. Um, and then... Uh, I don't think they're going to throw up any roadblocks really? for you. I here. have my American citizenship <laughs> now, though. Just, just a, I, mean, I have my global entry interview I in two weeks. I think got uh, bigger fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I moved to New York, and I worked at Juilliard as a coach. I was huh. there as, a, as an associate coach for two years. How did that feel compared to Michigan? For students looking at both schools, what do you have to say to them? You know, I'm... I mean, I'm slightly biased because sure. I went to a really great university. At a great time. Yeah, at mm -hmm. a great time. Um, I like to encourage students to to have a well-rounded education. Mm -hmm. I think the market, the music, it's just, first of all, it's exorbitantly expensive mm -hmm. to go to school, mm -hmm. to college. I mean, I was just looking it up with a friend of mine. It's unbelievable. It's like $60,000 to go to USC. I know. Or Ithaca or Eastman. I know. Um, We're looking at schools for my four-year-old. They want $27,000 a year for a four-year-old for pre-K. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then right. it goes to 33 when they start to get right. their feet under them. Right. No, I just it's think it's sort of, you know, I encourage, I would encourage anybody that's 18 or 19 to go to a, a, a regular university. Right. Yeah, um, I found that, I mean, I made my decision to go to, to Fullerton Based on the well, and I was older too, so I had a little bit more wherewithal maybe than a, sure. a than an eighteen year old. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that singing is um, it's a it's a skill. It's it's uh, it's like vocation vocational school mm -hmm. where uh, it's like learning how to build cabinets. So you could go to a terrific school that has the best books on building cabinets, or you can go and pick up a hammer right. and learn how to build cabinets. And who the actual person who is teaching you, mm -hmm. I think, is a lot more important exactly. than I completely the agree. paperwork. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I mean, when I was in college, yes, did I go to football games? Did I sell my football tickets? Yes, I did. I right. sold my like Notre Dame, Michigan football ticket. You know, and and it was, but it was a great time to be there. And and but I was also fortunate that I was able to take language classes. You know, I couldn't get into a German class, and so I took two years of Japanese.、Hmm. Um, I took a lot of art history classes. Yeah,、I、things that you can't get at Juilliard、English、or Eastman. English lit, exactly.、Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I was grateful for that.、Mm-hmm. And it also allowed me to step outside of my music school bubble、mm-hmm. and have to interact with students、mm-hmm. that didn't do what I did. I、right. mean, and I specifically asked in my freshman year that my dorm roommate not be a musician, and she was a, a fantastic artist. Yeah. Well, I find that that kind of education, especially a liberal arts education, gives you context when it comes、exactly. to music.、Mm-hmm. I had this tr- tremendous twentieth、uh, century techniques teacher at Cal State Fullerton, Lloyd Rogers, who just passed away, rest his soul. And、uh, he used to give these lessons, which were only about a, a third of them was about the music. The rest of it was what was happening in history,、mm-hmm. what had come before it, how this piece influenced what came next, and、right. how history and the events of the time shaped. The music—that's、mm-hmm. what I love about. Uh, uh, this is really a tangent, but I remember being in Chicago,、uh, going through the、uh, the fine arts,、uh, the Chicago Fine Arts Museum,、mm-hmm. the, the artist, what's it called, the Art, Art Institute. Institute. Yeah,、yes. and they had this、membership. audio tour,、mm-hmm. and it and all the music related to the paintings、mm-hmm. and the time of the paintings. And、right. so you'd be listening to Debussy, looking at you know the、right. impressionist paintings,、mm-hmm. and. I think that that's easy to miss without a well-rounded education.、Mm-hmm. Actually, I completely agree. And you don't get to really experience the the full beauty of what you're doing without、mm-hmm. knowing where it came from and why、right. it is. Well, I lived in London. I'm now I'm jumping way ahead. I lived in London for the past three years. I just moved back to the states. Oh, it's been about four years ago. Really? Yeah, I lived in London. So, so give me really quick. You went from San Diego to New York. To Juilliard, yes, I was working there for two years,、yeah. and then、uh, and then I went and I taught at the University of Maryland. Oh, I was the music director of their graduate opera program for five years. Oh my God! Yes, and then from there I went to the University of Toronto, and then I was、uh, principal coach and conductor of the opera school, and then I was there for four years, and it was a tenure track position. But how's it I- possible? You're like what, seventeen years old? I'm just a little bit younger. I mean, than you it's、are. crazy. <laughs> A whopping twenty-five. No, <laughs> no, I'm forty-three. That's incredible. Yeah,、and、you look so, like you're twenty-three. Oh, you're kind. It's the Asian genes. I guess. <laughs> Multiple instruments, <laughs> no wrinkles. <laughs> you know, typical Asian. <laughs> That's totally true.、Um, no, and then I lived, and then,、uh, and at the time, my ex-husband, soon to be ex-husband.、Mm-hmm. Uh, He moved. He was. We were living in Chicago, and I was moving back and forth between Toronto and Chicago. And then he got a job in London, and so we moved to London. So I was living in London for three years. Wow! And you know, this whole principle of understanding where the music actually comes from.、Mm-hmm. You know, I we would take holidays. Jeez, yeah. In you know, just out out in the British countryside, and then you go. Yeah, you know those those、um, you know Butterworth songs, those the, the Britain. It all makes sense now. I know, right? And you can't describe that、nope. until unless you actually see it or driving through France. It's、know? true. It's and it's or standing in Saint Mark's and you're like,、exactly. oh, this is how Gabriella、right. did this. Right. Yeah. Oh, this makes sense. And it all makes sense. Yeah. At that moment. Yeah. But until then, I thought,、oh, okay, rolling hills, rolling hills. Okay, green pastures and sheep wandering. Okay. Yeah. Until you witness it and you experience it.、Um, I find that true about a lot of things.、Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, there are a few things that have not disappointed me in,、uh, when I've experienced them.、Uh, Goya's black paintings. Oh,、mm-hmm. you know, okay, 
yeah that's that's what that is i see that standing on the great wall of china i, I was like oh gosh that's oh, one of my things i would love to do that wow like it it does not disappoint mm-hmm. it's just well this wall just goes on forever until you right. can't see it anymore and you right. think, wow, this was built a long time ago. Right. <laughs> and they did this. Like, well, I'm you, standing on this thing. <laughs> you know, I was sitting there driving back today in the car, and I thought, gosh, you know, I mean, you make this reference to this incredible, you know, seventh wonder of the world. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I wonder how long it took to build these highways. I wonder I how know. long it takes to build the 405. It's the same thing, though. I mean, it's a massive. <laughs> it's epic. It is yeah. epic. <laughs> it's no, no, no. Epic I mean, I, I feel the same way. I felt that way going to Venice. And you, mm-hmm. like, you know that. You know that all the buildings are in the water, like oh right, like you know it, right? It's right, and then you get there and you're like, "Holy shit! All the buildings <laughs> go into the water." <laughs> like, is it sinking like, now? Is I, it sinking I, now? This is really, this really is what it is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's you, you just can't it's prepare for it. Uh, okay, so then, what were you doing in London exactly? I were you just gigging, or did you? I I ended up. So you followed your husband at yes, the time. Yes, I did, and um, and it was difficult. It was sort of, how do I say it? You know, I felt like I had such a, a strong footing in the musical community in America. Sure. That I was a bit terrified to leave because as a as tag you know, as a tag along in right. a way. Yeah. And, and 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 also, you know, as as you know, when you're given an opportunity and you turn it down, there's always that fear that that job won't be there anymore. People will forget who you are because you have all these young singers, all these young pianists who are coming up behind mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. who can easily take over your position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gave up a tenure track position at the University of Toronto. And unless- What was that like? Was that, I mean, that must've been a hard choice. It yeah? was a hard choice, but you know, you do things for love and you know, yeah. and, and your mindset is different. And I thought, well, it's, I also thought it was gonna be a wonderful opportunity who, you know, who gets to go live in London and have right. someone's company pay for everything? Right. You know, so it was a real. Oh, what field was your husband in? He, he was. Uh, he was uh, a director of a trading group for a hedge fund. Ah, not right. in music. No, not in music, I see. which sort of became more problematic later on. I see. You know, and so you lived in Soho. Where did you? Where we did lived you end in up? Mayfair. Chelsea? Oh, Mayfair. Uh-huh. We lived in Mayfair. You know where the Apple Store is? Sure. We lived right right around the corner from from the Apple Store. Okay. So you're um, living it up. Yeah, we're living it up, and then and then we moved to Camden, mm-hmm. which was great. Lots of cows. Lots. Of... Are there cows in Camden? No. No. What is that? Camden is where the big music, you know, it's where all the major rock bands came out of. Oh, oh, um, oh. It's okay. next to Regent's Park. Okay, sure. In the Camden Market. Sure, and then, sure, sure. And so we sort of, and then Hampstead. It was just sort of which, which is a primarily American. There were lots of enclave. Americans. Uh-huh. Yes, enclave mm-hmm. in, in Hampstead, and and it was fantastic. I mean, I. I really enjoyed my time there. I felt a little isolated to a certain degree only because that musical community is actually quite small as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And I think to be an outsider was, uh, it was not always easy. Mm-hmm. Although I, you know, I worked at Covent Garden. I, I worked with the young artists there. I taught uh, and I coached at the Royal College of Music and I conducted scenes. And so I, but it wasn't as uh, extensive Sure. as, it would have been if I had remained in the U.S. Sure, you know, yeah. and so, which is why I always wanted to make sure I was able to come back and and even during my time in London, I would still fly back to mm-hmm. L.A. to do one or two shows mm-hmm. a year. And what was it? Uh, was it that I that feeling of isolation that contributed to you wanting to leave? Was that? Uh, I think it was just a sort of because London, you know, London's London a great is fantastic. Place. I mean, and you know, and I was 
I traveled everywhere. It was so easy to just hop know, on the train, right? right? That's the that's the beauty of it. Yeah. You know, you who who can say that they can, they can get to Paris or or Belgium or Amsterdam on sure. the train in two to four hours? But it's sort of it was a moment where you know where I think I I thought that at the time my partner or husband understood. Mm-hmm. you know, what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's always, I think, the conflict with a lot of musicians who have civilians as spouses. Right. You know, you have ones that really understand right. or they think they understand. Um, Until push comes to uh, shove. Right. Yeah. Until the know, rubber meets the road. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a certain, um, you know, they become enamored with the idea of what we do. Oh, mm-hmm. you're an artist. And like a feather in his cap a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, but when, when I'm on the road and I'm not home and and they have a nine-to-five job, Mm-hmm. And they're home, and you're not mm-hmm. because you're out until ten or eleven doing a show. How mm-hmm. do you reconcile mm-hmm. that? And and there was a moment I think where he thought um, if he could su- just support me, you that know, it would be okay. That would be okay. But of course, I'm. I grew up very independent and right. free spirit, and I think the last and, thing. Well, you, and you have do. a tremendous uh, uh, arsenal of artistic. Ammunition. I mean, no, just sitting in kind. a sitting in a warehouse. I mean, no, you've got to get kind. it out, and you know what yeah. I mean. I can imagine that that's hard to not exercise that muscle mm-hmm. and and be be a little bit of the star sometimes. Right. You know, and 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 it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's very true. And I I look back, and I don't. I never look back on anything I've ever done with regret. You know, whether it comes to failed relationships, um, missed opportunities. Sure. I've never, ever been regretful for any of that. Sure. You know, I would just think, how does it make me better going forward? But it was sort of, it wasn't an easy time for me because I really struggled because I really did feel like I had to make a choice between my personal life and my work life. Well, I, th- I think for artists, there's always a, um, I've always noticed that I, uh, with, with couples, when an artist is involved, there always needs to be a garden and a gardener. Mm-hmm. And I feel like artists gravitate towards being the garden mm-hmm. more than being the gardener. Right. And it sounds like maybe your husband didn't want you to be the, the garden. He right. wanted a gardener for right. himself. Right. And that creates, a, I've been through that myself, and mm-hmm. it creates uh, a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, very deep down in somebody's uh, and the way people feel about themselves, like right, and especially uh, if you're somebody who has a really strong moral compass, mm-hmm. um, who actively wants to do right, mm-hmm. and yet somehow there's still conflict, mm-hmm. you know. And and I couldn't do anything right, and I thought, okay, then that's when you take that step back and yeah, think, and become objective, know, yeah, right, and become objective. And and that was the thing because when I when the when the subject of my position here had come up. It had come up several years ago at Ravinia when I was working with James. Oh, sure. Is and that where you guys met? No. Oh, my gosh. We go back to Aspen. Oh. About maybe 2000, okay. 2001. So you were on his radar already. Yes. Well, and this, I was a student back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent 10 years in Aspen, five, as a, five years as a student, then five years as faculty. Trust me, and, you were on his radar. Well, <laughs> I played his first at Dialogues of the Carmelites. Okay. Um, and and he was someone who also really helped me with my career and helped shape the path that I was going to right. go down. Um, and 
And so while you were in London, did this opportunity arise? Was that just well, like kind of uh, you know, well, serendipitous? It was sort of serendipitous, but it, I also needed encouragement from one of my best girlfriends uh -huh. um, because James had asked me if I was interested in coming out to LA on a more full-time basis. This was several years ago. And, you know, I knew it wasn't the right time. Mm -hmm. But then I also felt, you know, sort of like that child that doesn't want to disappoint their parents. Mm -hmm. um, but I told them, I said, this isn't the right time because it was at the moment when I was about to move to London. Mm -hmm. And um, and so he was very gracious and I was extremely great grateful for the opportunity. And then when I was sort of going through my personal change in my life this past year and a half, my girlfriend said to me, you know, why don't you go back there and see if that position may still be available? And I mm -hmm. said, I can't, I can't. And she said, why not? You know, and and I said, I just can't. I said, I'm embarrassed. And she said, why are you embarrassed? I said, because this was offered to me a couple of times before and I turned it down. And yeah. here I am having to say, because <laughs> I yeah. felt like I had to start over. I right. really sort of felt like I had to start completely over. Coming from London back to yeah. the States. Mm -hmm. You know, would anybody remember who I was? You know, what would what was the quality of my work going to be? <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, because three years is a lot of time to be out. Yeah, and so not exercising your chops exactly. every night. And yeah. not being on someone's radar, yeah. you know, and I'm not talking about kissing someone's ass because mm -hmm. I don't like to do that mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I inquired, I gently sort of asked, I said, is there a way that I may be able to come out here on a more permanent basis? Mm -hmm. And he said, what are you looking for? What do you need? What do you want? What are you interested in? And, and then that's how this job came about and back into my lap. <laughs> and how, how long have you been here now? I've four, been here. I've uh, four years, five years. No, I started coming out here in two that since two thousand nine. But then I've been here full time just since last August. I remember you were selling that <clears throat> beautiful little Mercedes. Oh, <laughs> 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 I tried to bring it up, but I had to give it. I had I left it in. Well, in Iowa. <laughs> we're all glad you're here, Mia. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate oh, you talking with me. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. Mia M. Thanks, Mia, for being on the show. Always love seeing your smiling face around the around the office. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Should be uh, a good time here in Los Angeles. I don't know why. Why do I even say that? I don't know what it, it might not be a good time, but seems like it. Maybe I'm in a good mood today. I hope you are, too. I uh, also hope that you're all kind to one another out there. We need a lot more kindness in this world. So spread a little bit around. Thanks for listening. Until next time. You like to dance, you like long walks, and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.